Welcome to this instalment of Maverick Tales, with Supermac, Big Ron on Jimmy Hogan, Brian Little's Nutmeg Story, Alan Hudson on The Light Pillow, Tony Curry being turned down by the club he loved, and Paul Fletcher's final game. SRB Media. Revy came in, into the dressing room, and he said, he said, the BBC wants to interview you. He said, now I've got everything organised, everything sorted. So he said, when you're dressed, follow me. So I got dressed and, and literally followed Revy um, up through the bowels of, um, of the stadium. And we got to, to this room um, that I remember it had a, um, a real sloping ceiling, you know, where obviously there were seats above it that all went down towards the pitch. And they had set up a little, stu- or rather a large studio situation. So I've gone in there. And, and I've, I've had a mic put, clipped on me and, um, and Tony Gubber is in front of me. And when he was given a green light, um, he, he said, and uh, welcome back to Wembley where England have beaten Cyprus 5-0. And he said, uh, I have Malcolm McDonald, a goal scorer with me. Uh, now, do tell me, Malcolm, um, can you describe the, uh, the one you missed? <laughs> I just looked and laughed. Um, I just couldn't believe it. Um, uh, so I sort of gave him a response, um, and uh, and and that was it. Now that had taken place in, in I think it was the April. Well, the following season, um, near the start of the season, Newcastle were playing Co- Coventry um, at St James Park, and it was um, televised. It was to be televised. Um, in, on match of the day yeah. uh, for the Saturday evening, and um, and I I scored a hat trick. We beat Coventry five nil, and I scored a hat trick against them. And it, if somebody scores a hat trick, usually it's that man that that Absolutely. does it. Absolutely, yeah, of course it is. Yeah, it's always goal yeah. scorers. Mm. Right, yeah, and they didn't ask me, um, and I thought that was odd. But I had arranged to meet at the Swallow Hotel in the city centre with Bob Cass because we usually we, uh, we did a column together yeah. for the for the Sun newspaper, and he was away the following day, so he'd asked could I do it with him on the Saturday evening. So we were going to have a pint at um, at the Swallow Hotel and do it in the bar there. Do the column. Well, so I walked in and I saw Bob sat in a corner to my left, but I realized that, that, um, that this uh, crowd of guys um, at the bar all stood. Um, I realized that it was the BBC Match of the Day crew, and I recognized two or three of them, and I went across to John McGonagall, who was the director for many, many years of Match of the Day, um, or rather producer, yeah. sorry. He was the producer of Match of the Day. And you couldn't miss John ever. He was, he was like six foot 13, size 13 shoes. He was a big, big fella. And I've gone over and I said, uh, hello, John. Lovely to see you. How's things? How's things, he said. I am surprised that you have got the effrontery and the cheek to stand in front of me and actually talk to me after what you did to us at Wembley. I said, I beg your pardon? What did I do to you at Wembley? He said, that interview you did. I said, yeah, I didn't swear, did I? 
said, no, 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 it's what you did before. He said, he said, Revy came upstairs and, and, and said, I've organized Malcolm McDonald to come with you, except for one thing. He will not come here unless you pay him 200 quid in cash now. And they said, what? Because it was a standard thing with, with the BBC that you do an interview and they sent, in those days, it was, they would send you a check for 25 quid. Yeah. And it was just a standard thing, no negotiating. But Revy took it this step further. Um, and so John McGonagall explained to me, he said, he said, I've got my wallet out. He said, and I had about 50 quid in it. So I took that out. I took 30 quid off me sound engineer. He said, I, I, I took 40 quid off the, off the lighting man. I, um, the, uh, uh, and there was three or four other staff. And in the end, he said, I got 200 quid put together and gave it to Remy, who brought it down to you. I said, no, he didn't. <laughs> I never knew anything like that. I didn't make those demands. I said, that's what Revy does. And John McGonagall just looked at me and said, are you serious? I said, yes. I said, I've been wondering where the 50 pound, uh, sorry, the 25 quid is. Yeah. You owe me Normally you, you, you automatically pay it out. Yeah. Um, oh, he said, I said, it's Revy you should be on that, not me. Yeah. Oh, he said, oh, I'm sorry about that. And you know, I never got the 25 quid. No. You also scored um, a hat-trick, I think, against Oldham. Yes. But you also missed a penalty when you tried to not make the goalkeeper. Yes. <laughs> by then... That was something... You, within by, your character, you were then, different, uh, By you? then, I had developed this unbelievable sort of stubbornness character <laughs> who was liked to show off. Yeah. Well, I don't know if I showed off. I just did things that seemed to me to be... Yeah. Difference. You know, the ball come to me, and, and if I was watching the bounce, I had, I just was, I don't know how, I, I mean, I can't do it with my knees now, but it would bounce, and I could flick it over my head while I yeah. was running. And people often say, like, I was speaking to someone even two weeks ago, who straight away said, oh, I used to love the way you flick the ball over your head. And I went, yeah, but I, that's just the sort of thing that I yeah. did. And I didn't really think of it as showing off. Mm. It just was a way of me... Um, so I, d- I developed this, I think, through Frank, I mean, and, and playing up front and scoring goals and... Um, and dribbling people and being allowed to do the things that as a yeah. winger that I, I was in a dangerous area there was lots of things that just clicked into place mm-hmm. for me and I was getting stronger you know I was growing up a little bit um, but my hat trick and, and, and things like that were and the penalty uh, I mean I, it, it's, a, it's a great it's a great story because you know I've, I'd scored two it's pretty much the last kick of the first half and there's a uh, there's a penalty and I'm going I'm taking it and everybody's going no you're not and I'm going yes I am I'm taking it and then I can hear Ron Saunders on the side like I can hear him going don't he's screaming not him he's not taking it get the ball off him and they're all saying no you can't take it you'll you know you'll get slaughtered or whatever I, even if I'd scored he was going to slaughter me yeah but I. I, I thought, he, and I was being really clever by then. And you know, when you see people chip goalkeepers and that now, well, it's like the norm, isn't it? Yeah, like, Penenka you know, done it first, but, 76, but yeah. I genuinely tried to not make the goalkeeper. And I thought, he'll move, because generally they jump in the air. And, and I thought, when he jumps in the air, I'll just stick it through his legs. Yeah. But it, it, didn't, it didn't happen. He saved it. And um, I, he was just waiting for me. Ron just waited for me the whole time. And he just, it, it, just the half time was just, 15 minutes of me just getting pummeled <laughs> by him which was 
I understand. I mean, I haven't been, in, I haven't gone into management yeah. now. I can understand it. I mean, mm. I remember Yorkie taking a penalty at Sheffield United later on in my career, but he scored. But he chipped the goalkeeper, you know. And, and and I'm like going when he's going, I'm going, no. But he scored. But it worked. But so, um, but Ron, Ron, Ron definitely. You know, I mean, he hammered me. But at the same time, I went out second half, got the hat trick. We yeah. won six nil, and. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know how. I don't. Know, I mean, I, I just don't know how to describe it. But that was me, and uh, I was never allowed to take a penalty after that. The lads wouldn't let me take a penalty after that. Um, but I, I, I continued to do things in a game which, you know, um, were just. I just, just you felt you had to do things. There was yeah. it was an era. I mean, I used to look, watch it, you know, Stan Bowles and 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 people, George Best yeah. and all those people, and I used to. That I, I wanted to be like yeah. them. You know, I wanted to be that type of a player, mm. um, and it was just it was just relevant to to that era, wasn't it? Really. You know, you see players. It was just the ultimate respect, wasn't it? You yes. know, Bob, Bobby Bobby knew he'd marked the. I mean, Bob. I mean, I I played against Pele that same year. That was my first season for Chelsea. I played against Pele and. He was playing for Santos. Uh, I was playing for Chelsea, and we played. We played them in Kingston, Jamaica, and uh, just to be on the same field as him was a bit eerie, you know. Uh, there's this fella, you know, coming to the end of his career, um, and there he was in '90, you know, that year, uh, winning the World Cup, and it was it was very very apt. It had to be, you know, he had to win it that year. Because he he was the greatest he was the greatest forward in the world, without a doubt. You know, in a different way, George was, Johan Cruyff was, and and then later Maradona come along. But for 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 that period when he played the game, he was just just something else, you know, and uh, deserves all the accolades he gets. And also caught a shark from a hotel in America while he was playing for the Cosmos? Well, that's the first hotel I went to when I went I, when I, in Seattle. It was, uh, and they said he was caught a shark out the window in, in one of the rooms I was on the Puget Sound. The Puget Sound. I mean, they, they don't even get any tiddlers there, let alone sharks. <laughs> but uh, that that was, uh, that's the Americans' way of getting a bit of publicity, and that, that's what they say. But, yeah, I think he was playing for New York Cosmos at the time, and... Um, and he would come to Seattle and play. But that was, I mean, I, I just wish that I'd have been there when he was in the hotel. And uh, of course, I had a few drinks of him in, as I say, in Jamaica. But he was a, he's a absolute, I always say that the, the, the bigger the star and the better they are, the, the nicer person they are. And he, he was fantastic the night I was with him. Then, you know, I joined Aston Villa as a kid and Jimmy Hogan had just come um, had just come to Aston Villa. To, his job was to coach the youngsters. Um, and it was a pleasure, really. We would we would play in... Aston Villa then had seven teams yeah. and the third team played in a league, which was the Birmingham League, hard league. We played against a lot of established or ex-pros on the way down, but still got plenty to offer in terms of know-how and experience and... That was Jimmy Hogan's team, the third team. And to this day, I can remember how he 
how he went about his team. The Hungarians, incidentally, nicknamed him Uncle Jimmy. That was that, or, or say the Hungarians, he was known as that on the continent. And what he did, he, he would have you before the game and his way of explaining it. Never heard him ever, never ever heard Jimmy, Jimmy, or Mr. Hogan, as we used to call him, swear. And his philosophy was, if you had the ball, wherever you had the ball on the field, you were attacking. If the opposition had the ball on the field, you were defending. And he had a, a way of putting it. He used to say, like, in the, in those days, the midfield players were wing halves. And he'd say to the wing halves, you've got to be like waiters in a rest. You've got to serve the forwards and serve the forwards. And uh, he, he, he actually, as well, one of the things that, you know, teams do nowadays, and I don't remember anybody ever doing it for... Uh, we used to do it as kids in the in the kids, seventeen year olds, eighteen year olds. Um, he used to have that team huddle before yes, he a did. game. Yeah, yeah, he used to have that. Now, I mean, I did many many years later before uh, one or two teams started adapting that. But he used to have that, and everybody I know, I know lads, I know lads. I'm not too sure. I haven't done it myself. Who? deliberately would opt out of playing in the reserve team, the Central League side, to play in Jimmy's team. That's, that is a fact, actually, because it was quite funny. I mean, I used to laugh at it at the time. You, you, Jimmy would be giving it all his philosophy about pass, play, pass, play, pass, control, pass. All his training methods were all done. This was in the days when most clubs, including Wolves, who had an experience of what Wolves were like, they were the along with Man U, the best two teams in the country, Wolves put a big emphasis on physical running and powering, you know, the, with great players. But they, but Jimmy never did. I don't ever remember doing a training session ever with Jimmy Hogan where you didn't have a ball here. You'd be working up and down, up and down. the. We used to do a lot of stuff in the car park at Villa Park, which was um, a hard surface. And you'd be working, he'd get you to take the ball up the field, inside, outside your right foot, inside, outside your left foot. You'd be doing it into little passing sequences, follow your pass, which I've now seen at many clubs. It's in many ways a standard training procedure now. But that was new then, Jimmy. would go follow your pass, follow your pass, play and pass, play and pass. And uh, But after all that, and it, you know, it really was, a, and you're going back years, it was a pleasure to play his team. You get in the reserves, and this is where the irony <laughs> came in. And the Central League then, the Central League team would be a couple of young players and some of the older players that weren't in the first team and whatever. And the, the trainer, we have a trainer with a cloth cap, the old cloth cap trainer. And his standard line, I mean, because he, he was always cracking jokes, the trainer, in the reserve team. <laughs> But his standard line was, forget what tip-taps told you, give it some alti, which was very <laughs> disrespectful, really. And we, I mean, amongst the lads, the lads, you know, what about that? But, because uh, Jimmy, Jimmy was, it, 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 his way of coaching and training and that was totally different, I would guess, to virtually anybody else in the game. Later on, people, I think it was Jackie Mansell who played for Portsmouth. He went to Holland and coached. He took a lot of that stuff over. I know for a fact Malcolm Allison took a lot of his stuff on board. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that, that's what it was. He laid, the, he laid a print down for one or two of the people that all of a sudden wanted to be coached um, to take on board.
and then um, and then I went to QPR as a 14 year old on schoolboy forms and for a year. And by the time it was time to leave school, they decided that I wasn't good enough to be signed on as an apprentice, as what they were in those days. So that was the start of my football. Now, when you say not good enough to sign as an apprentice, at Queen's Park Rangers, they played you um, at half-back, and then you went to Chelsea, you had uh, a troll at Chelsea, and they played you at centre-back, didn't they? Correct, yes. I had five, um Yeah, I'd started to build in the building trade, a small mm. firm in Cricklewood, and uh, during that six months there before going to Watford I had three four 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 trials for Chelsea on the old Welsh Harp you know in Hendon where they that was their training ground and um I was up against these giant centre centre forwards uh, um and I was just a you know the, the thing in them days was that when you went for trials for Middlesex boys, London boys, which I did and never got through the first trial because there was that many going for all the schools in London, Middlesex and that, that they just picked you, you know, all right, you play at right back, you play at left back and, and you're not you're not a right back or a left back. So you're not playing in your proper position. And that that's what happened with the Chelsea trials. I was centre back and against these, you know, centre forwards that were a foot taller than me. Now, I've just finished reading your book, The Matador, and I've got to say, what an absolutely fantastic read. And two of my heroes growing up were Tony Curry and Alan Hudson. And I've got to say, your stories are very similar. Chelsea was your team that you supported as a kid through your uncles. Uh, yeah. Fulham was the team that Alan Hudson supported as a kid through his dad living in Chelsea, but being Fulham. And both of you got turned down by the respective club that you both loved, which I find out absolutely amazing but as you've alluded to that's how things were done in those days and your final game of your career was um while you was at blackpool and you'd, you'd played warsaw didn't you and sadly yeah. you, you broke your leg and you damaged ligaments yeah 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 although it wasn't my final game let me tell you this story oh, okay i uh uh, Alan Ball, I didn't get on with Alan Ball. I didn't oh, really? think he was a good manager. I think he was one of the greatest footballers this country's ever seen. Yeah. As a manager, I didn't see eye to eye with him at all. And uh, he was selling me. So he sent me down to uh, Frank Burroughs, was manager down at Portsmouth. Yeah. Um, and I, I, Frank was set at um, Swindon for many years. And I, I knew him well. And so I'd gone down there and on the way back, Ball, he had rang me. He said, are you going? Have you signed for them? I said, yeah, I'm going, yeah. And next week I'm going. He said, oh, I'll do me a favour. Uh, Dave Bamber, who's a Blackpool player, is injured. Will you play tomorrow? I said, well, you know, in those days, he had to. I said, yeah, I'll play tomorrow. He said, it'll be a lot match. He said, you can go down on Monday and sign for uh, sign for Portsmouth. So I, I, I met the team on Friday night, uh, went to Walsall on, on Saturday, um, went to head a ball in the first 10 minutes. The goalkeeper came running out and he landed on my back. And as he landed, all his weight went into my right ankle yeah. and, and, and my stud stuck in the ground and he spun me around. And as he spun, I, I, I broke my ankle, I broke my leg, I broke everything really. I tore every ligament in my foot and, uh, I, and I kept the specialist support. And the specialist support, which I only saw two or three years afterwards, it said, this young man has had a horrendous injury. I've been wrong in the past, 
But I won't be wrong on this occasion. He will never play football ever again. Well, luckily I didn't see that. So, so there I am with my my leg in plaster. Burrows ring. He said, "You come in there on Monday." I said, "No, I broke broke my leg. Stop taking the piss, Fletch." I said, "I said, I broke my leg." He said, "You've not broke your leg. You're coming down. So I'll see you at nine o'clock on Monday." I said, "Honestly, I'm telling you the honest because he he wasn't well. So he went he went mad about this. And then on Monday morning, Bowley Alan Ball walks in, and he says, uh, "You got a bad one." I said, "Yeah, yeah, no, I boss. Yeah." He said, uh, "We want you to retire." I said, "Why?" He said, well, the club needs the insurance money. So you retire, we'll have the insurance money and we'll look after you. I said, no, I want to try and get fit again. No, you'll never get fit. I said, I will get fit. No, you won't. He said, uh, and, you know, it doesn't matter, we're retiring you. I said, look, Gordon Taylor at PFA, I'll get him to give you a letter on Monday morning and it'll say this young man will play again. I said, and you cannot do anything about that. He said, I said, I'm on an 18-month contract, still to go. I said, and I'm not until I've had a chance of recovering because all I was bothered about, I wanted to walk again. Yeah. I thought, I've got young kids. You know, if I'm, if, 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 the, if I'm going to have a permanent limp from being 32 years old, I'm going to be knackered. Yeah. So I went in training. Um, a great physio called Alan Smith at Blackpool Football Club became England physio a couple of years later. And he was wonderful with me. We used to run on Blackpool Beach every morning, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I did it for five months. Wow. And I got myself fit. I got back in the first team. I played one game and then I retired. Wow. And Alan, because I wanted to prove yeah. Alan Ball or anybody that I could get fit. And I, I trained really hard, and I, and I thought, well, I have a good chance now of saying goodbye to my football career, and then I'm going to have to get a real job and work hard um, after having having such a good time in football. <laughs> by Image Cleaning Consultant, Office Cleaning, Birmingham and Soli Hall. Contact us on 0121 707 7507 or 0777 911 7082 or email us at info at imagecleaners.co.uk for all your office cleaning needs. <laughs>